Hello, welcome to Spilling Chai on the Pain Gap. I'm your host, Anisha Hussain, and today's episode speaks about the truth about America's maternal health crisis. And in my book, Sp uh, Spilling Chai, my book, Spilling Chai, in my book, The Pain Gap, How Sexism and Racism in Healthcare Kill Women, um, there's an entire chapter in which I myself discover the truth about America's maternal health crisis, which is that it is essentially a black maternal health crisis. Not only are women of color two to three times more likely to die giving birth in America, but that statistic for black women is 243% more likely to die than their white counterparts um, from pregnancy-related complications and childbirth. I'm so eager, I don't wanna say excited, but I'm so eager to share this week's interview with you, with our guest, Dr. Kanika Harris, um, because it really made me realize that it's so important we remember when we speak about women's health and when we speak about maternal health that every number, every statistic that we see is a real woman and their stories matter, their experiences matter, their birth trauma matters. Um, this was such a personal personal uh, interview for me as it was for Dr. Harris. And I wanna quickly read you her bio before we delve into the interview. So Dr. Kanika Harris, PhD, MPH, is the Director of Maternal and Child Health and the Black Women's Health Imperative, BWHI. Kanika has over a decade of experience as a health equity strategist and health education subject matter expert, focusing on advancing equitable outcomes for underserved populations. She's also a doula. She also is a filmmaker, and she even served on the DC mayor's uh, lactation um, committee. So I am so excited for you guys, eager. <laughs> I have to find another word for you guys to hear our conversation because it makes you realize that all of these issues, especially for women of color, are so interconnected and intersectional. When we say that um, these are, when we talk about intersectional feminism, when we talk about intersectional issues, especially for women of color, this this interview, I feel like really embodies all of it. Um, I hope you enjoy this conversation and uh, talk to you soon. Thank you so much. So Dr. Kanika Harris, thank you so much for joining us today on Spilling Chai on the Pain Gap. Absolutely. I'm so honored to have you. And also, of course, we have quite a few common friends. I'm not not Michelle Norris. That was a that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> <laughs> but Shannon Watts. Uh, so I'm so excited to have you. Who was also actually she was one of the earliest guests on Spilling Chai. Oh, she, was on she was on episode two of season one when right when the pandemic started talking to me about pandemic. Uh, Pandem the pandemic and mental health of moms. I feel like Shannon was the first person to uh, bring up that topic, which is of course now a very big topic for everyone. Um, my first question to you is, we often hear the statistic that black women in the United States are three times more likely to die from pregnancy related causes than their white counterparts. But I always like to present that stat as, that is 243% more likely than their white counterparts to die. So I always say, even if you want to be oblivious about there's no racism or anything, you cannot ignore that statistic, which is probably higher um, than that, because we obviously don't always know the number of women is not always reported. And that is a number that is rising. New data from the National Center for Health Statistics shows that in 2020, Black women were 2.9 times more likely to die from pregnancy-related uh, complications than white women, a 16% increase from 2019. 
So you tell me, Dr. Harris, what does this say about giving birth in America as a woman of color? Oh, let's unpack that. That says a lot. Um, but I think first and foremost, it says that I can't fathom that there's anything that Black women do that's so drastically different, how we eat, how we live, how we work, pray in the United States that would lead us to having these kind of disparities, right? Um, so that's number one. I always want to point out that there's nothing that's so genetically different or inferior about Black women that would cause us to be in these situations. Um, and then, you know, there's just, there's just so much in terms of, it's just what's happening is really the history of the United States and how it was built just kind of piling up for, on us and like coming to a head. That's what we're seeing, right? Um, we know that even gynecology in this country was built on black women and black slaves. We know that um, just over the course of our lifetime, from the time that we were born, from the time that we can be in our mother's womb, that that mom can experience racism and discrimination in her workplace, in her hospital visits. Um, and those stressors are affecting that baby before that baby is even born. We know that stress accumulates over time. Um, so we have more data from the CDC that you mentioned is um, that women over 40 are eight times more likely to die than women under 25, right? So now we're in this situation, you know, you've told black women to wait to have children, get their education, do the right thing. Um, and now we run the risk of dying um, because of these stressors that we're experiencing over our life course are now aging us and aging our reproductive organs. Um, so I don't know, it's like just a big setup for, it for is us in this country. It's like, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? So I also always feel like, and I say this in my book, that the system is actually working the yeah. way it's intended to be working, right? It's America that's changing. It was supposed mm -hmm. to value white lives. And like you said, the history of gynecology, I mean, my goodness. And then, I mean, that that statue of J. Marion Sims in Central Park was just taken down, I feel like two years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, so let's not even forget who we were, what these men did and then to be celebrating them. So the system is working. It's America that's changing and thank heavens that it is. So women like you and I can speak. Um, mm -hmm. So you are a mother of three, uh, a near miss survivor, a doula, and a birth justice advocate. Uh, what has your own birth stories been like, if you don't mind sharing, because um, I present so many stories in my book, and now I'm kind of obsessed with what women, women's stories and what women do not talk about and the stories they keep to themselves. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a story or two uh, with our audience. Right, so I have three birth stories. I'll share the last one with you all. Um, my last birth, so my first pregnancy, I was pregnant with twins and unfortunately lost them at 32 weeks um, due to preeclampsia and HELP syndrome. And I know we have, from reading your book, I know we have similar experiences. Um, and then I had, you know, two years later, I had a beautiful son. 
I had a doula, uh, Mama Claudia Booker, who who um, is no longer with us, but she was not only a doula, but she was a judge. So she had switched from her life as a judge and lawyer to become a full-time birth worker and doula. So I had the best of both, best of both sides with the birth of my son. Um, and, you know, her just coming in and just making sure that everything happened to a T, that she um, just helped me and my husband every step of the way and that no one was messing with us. So that was amazing. Um, for my third birth, I got surprisingly pregnant with twins again. Um, and boy, girl, same as the twins I lost in 2010. Um, and so it was a very, uh, of course, mentally trying pregnancy. Um, and unfortunately the first doctor that I had was like, you know, you'd be lucky if you make it to 20 weeks just because of your previous history. Um, you know, there's nothing we can really do for you. Maybe take some aspirin, but stay close to the NICU because you never know what could happen. And, um, you know, that just left me feeling horrible and defeated. And I just remember going into that bathroom stall and crying and going home like, you know, what am I setting myself up for? So just in that visit alone, this physician, and she was female. And unfortunately, she also had, you know, her student with her. And I'm always like shocked about what you what you just transferred to that student that that conversation was what did you just teach the student yeah that that this is this is how you talk to moms um and so i i got a new doctor um the pregnancy went really well i made it to 40 weeks so you know i feel like i got you lady you were wrong <laughs> made it to 40 weeks, um, went in to be induced because they were like, oh, now you're showing off. You know, we don't like twins to go too far past 40 weeks. So we want to induce you, got induced. I had the chief, um, not the chief, is it chief? Yeah, I think it was the chief resident. So she was like literally getting ready to graduate in a day from to be like um, a full anesthesiologist. I carried really big, the babies were both over six pounds. So it was really hard to get that anesthesia going um, to, to deliver. Uh, the babies just weren't ready. They were very far up. So like inducing and kind of waiting for days just didn't make sense. So it was kind of like, okay, let's do the cesarean. Um, this anesthesiologist kind of took it as, as her conquest to make sure that she could give me an epidural, but the epidural was not working. And I, you know, after the second try, I was like, mm. the third try, I could feel the blood kind of dripping down my back. So I was like, please stop. And um, she wouldn't, she wouldn't stop. And she was like, started to get really aggressive, telling me to be still. My husband couldn't be in the room. Um, there were nurses that started to like hold me and try and console me, but you could really tell that they didn't have any power over her decision to keep going. So this woman tried seven times to stick an epidural needle in my back. And, you know, my husband could hear me screaming in terror, telling her to stop. When someone tells you to stop, you stop. 
that that becomes um, assault, abuse? and it becomes assault. It becomes assault. assault. That would be sexual assault if you were oh right. Uh-huh. Yeah, it becomes assault. Um, the nurses were just holding me. I'm crying. They're crying, and she just keeps getting on the phone, calling her um, attending, and saying you know, failed attempt, can I try again? And then they're giving her permission to try again. And then she's going, but she's not listening to me. She's listening to her attending. Finally, the attending comes in and is just like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, this is too much. Like, she's gone through enough. She's asking for the general anesthesia, just give it to her, you know? Um, And so I just was just like, you just stole you know, this moment for me. Um, It was just, it was horrific to know that, you know, those anesthesia needles are huge. Yeah, guys, it's really painful. It's not like, and and we're pregnant. (laughs) And you had twins. Yeah, it's a really big needle. and, And the issue was that my spine would not open up enough because of the twins for that needle to really enter appropriately. So it was like nothing she could do, but this was like her last conquest of, I gave a woman with twins, you know, like an anesthesia with the needle. Young, um, young white physician, um, female. And it was just, yeah, it was just, it's, it, it's still taking me time to process what happened. It took me time to recognize it as an assault. Um, you know, the research I do now in my work just made me realize that, you know, like implicit bias trainings and all these things just aren't necessarily the solution because a lot of the nurses who were protecting me, who were honoring me, who were really trying hard, they didn't have power over that resident, you know? And so a lot of what we're seeing is just not patient doctor interaction. It's also happening between teams, communication between teams, racism between even the personnel within the hospital and the culture of whatever that hospital is. So it goes far beyond these implicit bias trainings that we're we're kind of focusing on right now. Um, so yeah, my babies came out beautiful, nothing wrong, no real like NICU time. Um, and I am blessed for that. Um, they're happy, they're healthy, they're whole, no issues, and we're all blessed for that. But it didn't have to, it didn't have to be like that. You know, it did not have to be like that. It did not have to be like that. And, you know, that's what's so frustrating about so much of this work. It's needless, unnecessary trauma, needless, unnecessary deaths. And you're so right. It takes you so long to process the trauma. I mean, I wrote the book and I'm still processing my trauma. I think it was just very recently that I was like, oh, that was really, really racist and really, really violent. And right, right. And and the more I speak with women, I'm like, yes. And, you know, I saw I saw something on Instagram the other day and it was so I mean, I needed to hear it. And now I have my eldest who I had this traumatic uh, story of birth with is almost 11. I, I read this meme and it said your birth trauma is not your fault. Right. And 
I really needed to hear that. <laughs> Nobody had yeah. said those words yeah. to me. So yeah. And that's it's, how it's partners awesome. may need to hear it too. Cause I think yeah. about my husband who was helpless on the other side of the door oh, listening yeah. to me, you know, oh, my like, goodness. her story too. Yeah. Um, and, yes. and you know, it leads to like, I was really kind of, how you birth kind of sets up how you're gonna parent or start to parent yes and so you know you kind of I kind of walked into this moment it was it was victory I got pregnant naturally with twins that I lost they made it this time against all odds like no help from physicians to do anything like I did that and then here's this moment of victory and you kind of like just sucked it, right? Um, so just walking into birth, like I was zombied. I think I was just a zombie for, you know, a good seven months before, you know, I feel like I could really enjoy the moment in the babies mm -hmm. um, because so much of that experience is affecting you in ways that you don't realize you're not processing yet you're not talking about it because you're like I did it you know they're here um I couldn't have um you know in my culture we have naming ceremonies after three months mm -hmm. I waited to have that name these babies almost had teeth by the time they had their ceremony and rites because I just wasn't in a place to um to do that and face the community and you know be like this is our family these are my babies this is where I am as a mother so they finally were like pushing me like Kanika come on like they're nine months now when are we going to do this so um yeah and I think physicians they really don't have a clue no, <laughs> like, they don't they yeah don't. And um, it's just now, I feel like too, really, it's so recent. I feel like it was after the summer of George Floyd that we can now say, this is racism or this is racist. I mean, prior to that, I'm sure, you know, as a black woman in America, just saying the word was like scandalous and scandalous. Yeah. I mean, at my book party, Sophia Nelson, who's such a huge mentor for me, she said something I'll never forget. She said, this book couldn't have been published a few years ago because it has racism uh, in the title. So I also I think know. about so much of so much of what used to be uh, blamed on race, the pandemic has exposed is racism. Um, so that, I mean, I don't know, at least we have that, although I feel like sometimes we're sliding back into don't say the R word uh, territory. We also have a rice ceremony after three months in in, uh, in my culture. I'm from I'm from Bangladesh. So that is I know that's really uh, important. Yeah, yes, yes. So my next question to you, um, thank you so much for sharing your story. I, um, yes. I'm not gonna start crying, but uh, we're here and your babies are here. And I just think about how emotional it must've been for you in addition to everything happening, the trauma that these are the same twin babies. Like talk about like rebirth, another chance, another, oh. And surprise. That and there's a... for you. Yeah, they're the same complexion. Oh you know, my gosh, I can't as even. The, as the other babies, same complexion. My daughter is lighter as her sister was light, and my son is darker. Is darker, more my complexion, like his brother. Oh so it's gosh. really like they came back full force. Um, and so, yeah. And, and 
Yeah, go ahead. No, sorry, you go ahead, please, please. No, I was just gonna say, if you have, you know, I was with the same hospital. Um, and when you have these moments, I feel like they should be able to understand and celebrate it with you. Yes. They should be able to like, be like, oh my God, did you read her chart? Do you see where she is? Like they should be cheering for you every step of the way. They should be celebrating. They should be crying with you. They should be yeah. joyful with you. Like they should be like rolling out the red carpet. Like look at what this woman what did compared to 10 years ago. But we, I mean, I mean, that would be asking a lot of them right now. Right now we're just asking for respectful care. But mm -hmm. that's basically like the sacred moments of birth that we're just missing yes. in hospital settings altogether. Like, you know, yes. um, we, really are. we should be, you should be looking at my chart and be like, oh my God, look at what she's getting ready to do. Let's rally around this woman. Let's pray with her. Let's. Yes. You know, and that's how it used to be. That's how it used the to be. Over hospitalization, the business. Mm -hmm of giving birth. That's, I mean, that's what I always say. It's just so interesting because I just came back from Bangladesh. It's where my family's from. And I was doing a reading there and I kind of just said, because in Bangladesh, it's very, we have a lot of problems, <laughs> patriarchy, violence against women, you name it. But um, no woman is isolated the way women are isolated in America post-birth. And I was kind of saying in my talk, I was like, Oh, that's actually what what happened in America. All the women have been removed. The community that would come around, you know, midwifery—that's a whole other topic. Um, right. You're like, I know, I know, you know. Um, but yeah, you're so right. Anyway, I just want to—I don't know—I want to give you a, a big hug. So yes. I'm sending you yes. lots of energy. Okay. okay, going on with the interview. Uh, something because something so important has happened in your work. The Black Women's Health Imperative, in partnership with the Association of Women's health obstetric and neonatal nurses just released a new study on how racism towards black patients and nurses and nurses this is important people at home during birth experiences affects the patient outcome so talk yeah. to me about the key findings of this study yeah so the key findings we did not um so it's covid right things are different um so we really walked in it was like, how do you get at implicit bias qualitatively? So we know from the current institute, there's tests you can take um, at Harvard, there's tests you can take to test your implicit bias, but like, what does it look like when you're just talking to nurses and like getting at what's happening in their minds? And it was really amazing. Um, so in order to get at that, there was really no, no like uh, method um, so it was just a lot. We looked through a lot of articles and came up with the best method. And we really just asked questions um, that did not probe or get at race at all. But um, we found that a lot of the white nurses would talk about race anyway in very coded ways. So we would ask like questions like, hey, so what, tell us about times when your patients were difficult versus times when um, you feel like, you know, your your work you've you've had high moments or like your work was really re rewarding and so they would talk about being at one hospital um where the patients were mainly on medicaid where they were mainly um unplanned pregnancies um low-income mothers drug abuse um single moms so they would use kind of coded language like that versus you know, at this hospital, and I would ask him like 
for the, can you just give me the area the hospital's in or what's the name of the hospital? And they would tell me, and you could kind of map the demographics and they would say like, these are more planned pregnancies with mom with private insurance and they were compliant and very easy to work with. And so we saw coded language, um, but you know, the stories of the moms, as you know, like you said, you're following these birth stories are also horrific. We saw not only um, assault happen by for black mothers, but if the black mothers either looked young or were young, there was like more aggression and assault towards them as if they just didn't know their bodies. They were somehow just too young and ignorant to understand what was happening. And just a lot of force, unnecessary force by nurses. Um, we saw that black nurses were very intimidated. Um, there's a culture of nurse civility, which is kind of what I'm understanding to be um, just very uh, hostile culture between nurses um your right to be here your your you know how they kind of haze you into the practice and um as i mentioned it kind of reflected on my own experiences which i didn't expect were nurses i would say white and black who understood respectful care and what needed to happen but were not listened to by their staff members their charge nurses residents doctors and so they were crying because they lost patients in a way that that didn't have to happen if their you know, higher ups or attendings had just listened to them. And like, I'm with this mom, I'm telling you what's happening to her. Like, I understand her culture. We're from the same culture. She's saying this and um, them feeling powerless. And it took me back to my birth where I was just like, yeah, those nurses were holding me, crying with me, doing whatever that they could. After my birth, they came back and apologized, but they felt powerless. They felt like there was nothing they could do. And so um, it just was eye-opening about how we're thinking about implicit bias. Like I said, it's a lot deeper. Um, and there's a whole new study in and work coming out on racism within nursing um, and just how. Not to interrupt, but I cannot wait to read that study. Yes, yes. And it's so, so I will, I will. And so, um, and so, you know, we're working on a framework for hospitals to be able to operationalize whatever your implicit bias training is if you don't have the structures in place or the culture within your hospital, it's really not gonna work because it's not just an interpersonal experience. It's what's happening within that entire hospital and system. Also, yeah. I mean, for years I was like, what does implicit bias mean? And now I'm like, is implicit bias just the white way of saying racism? You can't train that away. You, it, you cannot you can't train, train that away. away. And no one wants to admit it. Yeah, I mean, I have really seen like it's so funny, like uh, how offended um, love you white people. But I have to say this, how offended white people get about the word racism or, and race, racist racism. Uh, they make it about themselves. They even want to hear what happened to you. That was racist. I mean, you know what I mean? I'm like, but this is happening to me. How are you so offended by it? So they're so sensitive about it that I, I just I'm like, you can't train this away. You need to almost therapy it away. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what you do. Um, I was working with the woman on the study from University of Michigan. Um, she was, you know, we race matched for talking to nurses and understanding these experiences. And she was like, you know, racism is just something we breathe. It's kind of like, you know, environmental pollutants or whatever's in your water. You can't just be like, I don't have this in my system. It's like we all breathe the same air. And racism is just like that pervasive. It's it's in the way that we are conditioned to think from the time we are born. Um, and we don't we don't even know the depths of, or we don't acknowledge the depths of what that really um, means and look like. I was watching a video and I can't remember the artist. He's escaping me, Lord, but I'm gonna have to follow up. Anyway, this music video was just like, it reversed just the way people see the world. So basically it was like a white, a white family living in, in like a poor income in poor community, but everything around them was, uh, was black. So like the ads on the TV were black. Jesus was black. Like their whole environment and the whole society was really black. And you could see them kind of like living in this black world, but they were white and oppressed. Reversing and just, the, yeah, yeah reversing, reversing the yeah, what, what the country looks like. But would you, when wow. you see it in that way, you're like, oh my God, you don't even recognize that everything you see is, um, is, in, a, is in a space of your, your functioning in a world of whiteness, everything you see, right? And to counter that, what black people have to do to counter that, to keep some sense of sanity. And you don't even, you don't even understand it or get it. It's a lot, you know, to just not be able to be free and liberated and just la la la, you know, it, it, it's a lot, you know, um, you know, even my son at school, a parent had the nerve to, to come and t tell me that, you know, there's a narrative building around your son right now. Um, you know, like he's not, he's not um, as nice when he plays sports, um, you know, he's, he's a little mean now. And I'm like, the angry black man narrative. Yeah, I'm is like, he's nine. Building. Yeah, he's nine. He's nine. When you play basketball, you you're trying to talk kids out of the game. That's what you do when you play basketball. When you play any sports, you're talking that your opponent out of the game. That's what he's doing. He's nine years old. And I was like, you don't even realize that by the time a young black boy is nine. He gets no graces, no social graces to grow up, no social graces to make mistakes. He has now is not cute anymore. You know, the cute little boy that Michelle- Cute little boy, now he's a danger, yeah. a threat. A now threat, he's a danger. A threat. And I'm seeing what that looks like. And, and, and for parents to think it's okay to come and actually tell me that, yeah, there's a narrative amongst this parents building around your son. And I'm like, you don't even realize how racist that is. Things that, oh like my God! The audacity for you to audacity narrative building around your son. You know we could analyze that forever. Yes, oh, and the I'm language and the wording that is used is just so. My next. The, the audacity for you to do it. The audacity for you to tell me, and then for you to think that that's okay. Okay. But these wow. are all these things that I'm talking about. This yeah. is not separate from maternal health. Yeah. 
This oh. is all one in the same, right? You know, Charles Johnson, who I'm sure you know, Akira mm -hmm. Johnson's husband, he said that. He said that he was so scared, you know, they're waiting for the CT scan. He basically watched his wife bleed to death in a hospital because he was scared he was going to be, you know, labeled an angry black man. But of course, you at one point, you're just like, guess the freaking CT scan and she died. Um, so, yes. My next yeah. question. That's mm -hmm. a whole other thing. Anyhow, I was just talking to my daughter about this the other day. Um, anyway. Oh, okay, so my next question. Uh, from a policy perspective, a few months ago, I was like, yes, 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 build back better. I had all the provisions of Black Omnibus. I was like, oh, finally. Because I always say not only is maternal health, what's so... What I love about working in this field is this is a solvable issue. It's not AIDS, not cancer. We have the tools. We know what's going on. Uh, we're not listening to women. We don't believe women. Forget women of color. Uh, but there was all in America, it's always very important what's happening on, on Capitol Hill, as you know, as a Washingtonian. And there was so much happening. What the heck now? Tell me, Dr. Harris. I know. I am. I don't know, right? If, I feel like with I the build back better, all of all of the omnibus bills, all eleven bills are kind of cushioned under that build back better act, which is crumbling, right? So we had seventy five million for community based organizations. We had two hundred and ninety five million to invest in a perinatal workforce to diversify the workforce. We know that even like when we're having whatever this implicit bias is, that we have um, hospitals that are overworked and overburdened. So however these biases can be checked, you cannot check them when you are stressed and overworked. So we needed that money to expand the perinatal workforce and to diversify it. And um, yeah, and then just, and just money for social determinants of health, I think 175 million for social determinants of health, right? So that's a lot of investment that <laughs> we are all counting on to, to get us somewhere and to see this bill is just kind of stalling or crumbling. They're talking about maybe throwing it out altogether. Can they revamp it or rename it? Um, you know, will it just be a bipartisan bill? But whatever they, if they shave off some of the bill, it looks like they're not talking about maternal health, right? They're just talking about, um, you know, things around taxes and uh, drug prices, I think are the things they're really trying to hold on to, but I haven't heard maternal health. So it's scary because we were, I mean, the momentum that we were making was amazing, you know? It was so amazing. And, and to have um, the our Madam Vice President, who as Senator, Senator Harris had, you yes. know, had introduced and backed some of those yeah. bills. I mean, it couldn't have been a better, a better setup to get some couldn't amazing work done. Setup. Yeah. And um, oh. you know, Alma Adams, I have so much respect for Congresswoman too. Underwood and Lauren just Underwood? her story. Yes. Just as a nurse and just, you know, just, you know, forging ahead and being a leader for us in this space. Um, so I don't know, we're, we're going to have to fight harder and pray harder.
yeah. that um, we can save a lot of these provisions within the Momnibus Act. Yeah. If yeah. we don't go into a nuclear war, that is definitely what we should right. do. Right. <laughs> no, there's always enough money for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's there's never any funding shortages for that. Okay. My last question. I could talk to you forever. Thank you so much. It's actually good that the interview didn't work out yesterday. Because okay. we, we didn't have we enough time. And we both yeah. had another call. <laughs> yeah, we did. That was so crazy. I was that was so like, crazy. Was I, I thought it was like some glitch that your yeah. name showed up. And I was like, this is crazy. I saw your name and I immediately went and looked at the, the email. And I was like, this was so funny. Uh, okay, yeah. so my last question. You are such a Renaissance woman. Uh, tell me about this uh, documentary you are co-directing and producing called Listen to Me, which explores for women at the front lines of black maternal health because i really want to end the interview on a on a we're you know on a really strong note that we are there's a lot of good work being done and despite all of this stuff moms and women of color we are not backing down we just we have just started talking so tell me about yeah. tell me about your documentary yeah absolutely we are two mamas talking to you that are not backing down um and I feel honored to be able to wake up and do this work every day because both you and I know that we're doing it for our daughters. Like we want to be there with our children, with our daughters. We want to be there welcoming them, welcoming them into motherhood in a way where they can see their power, recognize their power and their joy. So um, here we are. Uh, so listen to me really started. Um, how do how did I? It started because Shalon Irving, when she passed away, um, she was a very, very close to many of my colleagues. So I felt it. I felt it. Oh. And we were um, we were talking about pregnancies and I was looking forward to meeting her. Um, and so just hearing that she passed away, I was just like, what can I do? Like you know, what, what I have to do something. I can't just sit here and listen to another story. Um, so, you know, I partnered with a good friend of mine. I'm so uh -huh. sorry, really quick, Shalon Irving, for our audience members who don't know, I mean, there, uh, there couldn't have been a more personal death. I mean, please, I mean, a woman with like, I don't know, maybe like eight higher educational degrees, a doctorate worked in this field, um, you know, you, you tell the story. Yeah, so, so Shalon Irving, um, was a CDC epidemic intelligence officer, EIS officer, um, high official, 12 letters behind her name, uh, maternal health warrior, um, meant so much to so many and couldn't want more than to be a mother. Um, and unfortunately, after talking to the doctors, telling them that she didn't feel right, watching her body swell, watching all these issues, and they just sent her home after her doctor's appointment and she literally stroked out at home. Her baby literally fell out of her hands for her mom to catch her baby and, and she died at home. Um, one of the most tragic stories I've heard and the irony of her work and what she stood for um, was just like, you know. She's like a martyr. Yes. <laughs> she died yes. for her cause. Yes. and. Yeah. Um, so her mom was gracious. I formed a relationship with her mom who was gracious enough to um, to allow us to tell her story. Um, and her mom 
lost her last child. Her mom had lost all three of her children. So Shalon being the last one, she had lost her son to multiple sclerosis. She had lost another baby to a car accident. And Shalon was her last baby. Um, and Shalon was like this joy in her life that was trying to bring her out of a really dark place of losing her son for her to only lose her too. It's just, you know, it's just heart-wrenching, but um, forming a relationship with Miss Wanda um, and watching her really turn into this, um, this, this warrior, this advocate um, in starting her own national organization um, called Dr. Shalon's Map. Um, and, you know, watching her daughter Soleil just grow and shine and be beautiful. Um, so, so this documentary is about capturing, you know, the pain, but also the joys of, of, of this journey. So it follows me with my first birth looking into the past. It follows Shalon as someone we lost. And it follows um, now Dr. Ebony Marcel, who runs the um, birth center in DC, Community of Hope. It follows her infertility journey because we know that that's another side of this as well. So, um, you know, we're looking at a way to educate Black women to tell them to f the full story, to show our humanity, to show, to show what happened, but how we, how we have, how we have healed, how we have grown, how we have come to part of this movement as well. Um, so it's like, we we're talking about this pain, but we're also talking about building intergenerational joy um, and triumph as well. So, um, you know, we wanna tell the full story, the full spectrum of, of um, this. And, it's, and what's most powerful is hearing Shalon's story, hearing the just the people whose whose lives she's changed. I mean, like every day I listen to some of the recordings and work on the editing of this film. I'm just so empowered and moved by who she was through the voice of her of her friends and family. She was amazing. And I'm just like, how did I not miss that opportunity that was taken from me? And like I just think about like, girl, I want to be like you every day. Um, she was amazing. And so it's just, you know, it's it's art. It's going to be definitely seeped in art. Um, and so, yeah, we've been working on it for five years now. So we've been following, you know, Miss Wanda's journey, following uh, me kind of, I'm still looking, trying to reconnect with the physician that delivered my first set of twins because she was traumatized by that birth too. And I think sometimes we forget that, you know, women of color, that as I mentioned, the nurses, we get trapped and traumatized in this situation as much as our patients do sometimes. Yeah. So um, yes, that's that is so that is such a crucial uh, perspective. And I love mm -hmm. that you're doing this because uh, there can't be enough women's stories to be collected from all different perspectives. And I just feel like um, that is where our power is, not because um, there's, um, oh, I was doing so good. Did you notice I was not crying the whole time? <laughs> I'm the biggest crier, by the way. I can't believe it. I'm so sorry. Oh, because um, not only do we, you, you, you realize you're not alone. 
And mm. there, we don't know which direction to go unless we share and tell those stories. And we know how to solve the problems. And also know how how widespread it is. Oh, but Dr. Harris, I guess that your phone is even telling us to get off this call. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was like, other people, yeah. other people are like, where, who has hogged, who has scooped up Dr. Harris? And it's me. Um, well, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, and this is, this, this is essentially spilling chai. Um, you know, women talking, healing, crying, um, sharing together. Like this is a healing moment for me anytime that, you know, you can share your story in a way that it's safe and someone else can understand it. I must say, I have read your book. I have your book. I'm so glad um, you have an autographed copy too. Yay. Yes, yes I do. Um, thank you. Thank you for um, and it. And it talks about so much and, you know, definitely about how this will not change unless the entire system changes, right? Yeah. Um, it's and so it's yeah. it's not a debate. Please don't ask. Do you think systemic racism in America is systemic? It is. It's a fact. Please, not to debate. <laughs> Move on. We have to start from there. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Dr. Harris, thank you so much. This conversation yeah. has been just amazing. Thank you thank so you. much. I'll speak to you soon. And I want to see you in person. Now I know. Yes, we... Let's keep in touch. We Definitely. have to spill chai in person. We do. I love we chai. Spill... <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So do I. Thank you so much. Yes. I'll talk to you soon. Thank okay. you, Dr. Harris. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye.